Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well, just like our new listeners in Stamford, Connecticut. Yes, that's actually true. We now have listeners in Stamford, Connecticut, so I can only assume that this podcast has finally attracted the attention of Vince McMahon himself. So thank you very much for listening, Vinnie Mac. Feel free to reach out any time because I have quite a few ideas on how to improve the current product. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. Right off the bat, I have to give a huge thank you to William Rankin from the New Blood Rising podcast. He joined the show last time for our SummerSlam mega episode, and he was a fucking awesome guest as usual. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend that you do, because it was a great one. We ended up going for almost three hours, but that's pretty standard for a lot of wrestling podcasts, so I'm sure you can handle it. And of course, please be sure to subscribe to the New Blood Rising podcast, where they're currently recapping every ECW pay-per-view of all time, including the WWE version of December to Dismember. Yikes. Alright, so with that being said, let's dive in to Monday Night Raw. It is Monday, no, wait, what's this? For the second week in a row, it is a Saturday episode of Raw, because the USA Network preempted their highest-rated television show in favor of coverage of the U.S. Tennis Open Tournament, a questionable endeavor for certain. One plus, however, is the fact that this episode of Raw aired at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on a Saturday, as opposed to the previous episode, which did not go on the air until 11 o'clock p.m., a minor victory, I suppose. So anyway, it is Saturday, September 12th, 1998, and we are pre-taped 11 days in advance from the Songus Arena in Lowell, Massachusetts, only about 40 minutes from Raw Attitude Podcast headquarters. Some other noteworthy events which have taken place in Lowell include the 1997 episode of Raw called Thursday Raw Thursday, where Rocky Maivia beat Hunter Hearst Helmsley to win the Intercontinental title, the first title Rock ever held in the WWF. And, perhaps more noteworthy, at that same event, Shawn Michaels gave his classic Losing My Smile speech and vacated the WWF Championship due to a potentially career-threatening knee injury. In fact, that injury was so severe that HBK was back competing in the WWF less than four months later. Uh Uh-huh. One other noteworthy Raw which took place in Lowell was the December 22, 1997 episode of the show, which, as you may recall was covered on the very first episode of this podcast. Good times. Feel free to go back and relive that one. So cue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the amusing signs tonight include I should be studying for my finals, got work rate, will job for food, mullets rule, and WCW equals shit. Simple, but to the point. 
We waste no time jumping right into the action as Jeff Jarrett heads to the ring to face Edge. One noteworthy tidbit that I forgot to mention on last week's episode of the podcast is that Jarrett has now abandoned his country singer theme and adopted Southern Justice's theme music instead, and this will be the music he'll end up using from now until he departs the WWF. Personally, I prefer the country singer one, but maybe that's just me. And anyway, speaking of Southern Justice, they walk to the ring only a few seconds after the match begins, and Dennis Knight is holding a guitar, presumably not for musical purposes. Edge and Jarrett then proceed to have a pretty solid five-minute match, but, as you might expect, that acoustic equalizer did indeed come into play. After Edge hit Jarrett with two rolling suplexes, then an impaler DDT, Mark Canterbury jumped up on the ring apron to provide a distraction. Edge knocked him to the floor with a punch, but while he had his back turned, Dennis Knight slid the guitar into the ring for Jarrett. Double J then proceeded to hit Edge in the head with it, right in front of referee Jimmy Corderas, resulting in a disqualification. After the match, Canterbury pulled out a business card which said, Southern Justice, Problem Solvers, and he dropped it on the unconscious Edge's chest. Although really, I'm not exactly sure what problem they solved, because Jeff Jarrett just lost the match thanks to them, and not only that, but he also lost his hair at SummerSlam thanks to Southern Justice's botched interference, so I would say they're more like problem starters at this point. Maybe it's time for a new business card. After commercial break, it's now time for our next match, Bradshaw versus Darren Drozdov. You may recall that these two faced each other in the Brawl for All three weeks ago, and JBL ended up winning a very close battle, but now they're fighting with a predetermined outcome, so we'll see how this one goes. At the start of the match, Jim Ross tells us that Draws is actually wrestling despite the fact that he has a torn bicep, so I would love to know why a doctor cleared him to compete then. What was that conversation like? Well, your arm's already fucked, so the good news is it probably can't get much worse. Now go wrestle a pissed-off Texan who stiffs the ever-loving shit out of his opponents. JR then also informs us that Draws' pal Hawk called into last week's episode of Sunday Night Heat in order to make a special announcement. In fact, let's take a listen to that announcement. Our producer's telling us that we have Hawk on, on the telephone. We're patching through. Hawk, what's on your mind here? Well, I, I'm GR. I'd like to say hello. I uh, have a little problem I need to take care of and address, and I'm back in Chicago, and uh, I'm checking myself in for rehab to take care of it tomorrow. Well, best of luck to you, Hawk, and Thank, thank keep, you, guys. Keep fighting the fight. No, I will. Well, JR, I guess that power bomb that Hawk took courtesy of Giant Silver from the Oddities really woke Hawk up. Okay, so two things here. Number one, it's very impressive that Hawk was able to call into a pre-taped show. And number two, I love how Shane McMahon says that the reason Hawk is going to rehab is because Giant Silva's power bomb knocked some sense into him. If only the Oddities had been around in the late 80s and early 90s when Jake Roberts needed them the most. So anyway, the Bradshaw-Draws match was nothing special, as you would probably expect. Toward the end of the match, Draws was on the offensive and really taking it to Bradshaw, so JBL came up with a solution. He took Draws to the canvas, and then, in classic heel fashion, he rolled Draws up while putting both of his feet on the turnbuckles for leverage. That was enough to secure the three-count, so Draws then proceeded to make his case to the referee that JBL had won the match in a less-than-honest fashion, However, that proved to be a mistake because Bradshaw then bounced off the ropes and nailed draws with a lariat clothesline. And really, I suppose it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise that JBL felt the need for some additional bullying at the end there, huh? 
We're then told that the main event of the upcoming breakdown pay-per-view in two weeks will be Stone Cold Steve Austin defending his WWF title against The Undertaker and Kane in a triple threat match. And then, in case you had any doubt as to whether or not the WWF was mailing in their second straight Saturday Night Raw episode, we get a four-minute video montage of the Austin-Undertaker-Kane feud from the past three months. Needed more ACDC, in my opinion. When we come back from that video, it's time for our next match, Marvelous Mark Marrow, accompanied by Jacqueline, versus Los Bariquas member Miguel Perez. And once again, I must ask the question, is this Saturday Night Raw or Shotgun Saturday Night? It's getting harder and harder to tell the difference. In case you're wondering which member of Los Bariquas Miguel Perez is, think of the guy who had the insane amount of chest and back hair, Unfortunately, he has shaved it all completely off at this point, so he looks like just another random jobber. Which he is. The match went for about three minutes and was pretty unspectacular, aside from Miguel randomly busting out a standing moonsault just to prove that he deserves a roster spot. The finish came when Miguel went to whip Mero off the ropes, but Mero reversed it and lifted Miguel onto his shoulders, hit him with the TKO out of nowhere, see what I did there, and picked up the three count. Huzzah. We then go backstage where Michael Cole was standing by with the oddities and the insane clown posse. Luna and Violent J get to cut promos, while Kurgan and Giant Silva stand by in the background, fanning their hands in front of their noses as though Golga just farted. Yup, that's where we're at, folks. And suddenly, I found myself wondering if John Tenta thinks Golga is an upgrade or a downgrade from his shark character in WCW. I would have liked to have known his thoughts on that one. Anyway, as is customary, when we come back from commercial on the WWE Network, the Oddities entrance has been edited out because ICP was performing their theme song live, so they're already in the ring once the ad break ends. The WWE Network also edited out a backstage promo with Paul Ellering and DOA, but let's just say that you didn't miss too much there. For the record, Kurgan and Golga will be the two Oddities representatives going up against the DOA here. And speaking of Golga, at one point he went to do his old earthquake spot where he bounced off the ropes and then sat on his opponent, but the top rope legitimately gave way and broke when he hit it. I guess that means he won't be doing his usual shooting star press either. At this point, with the top rope laying limp in the ring, I think an audible was called because the insane clown posse then just ran into the ring and attempted to attack DOA, so the referee called for the bell. However, DOA overwhelmed them both, with Shaggy taking a powerbomb and Violent J getting the boots put to him outside the ring. Eventually, the oddities chased DOA off, but ICP were left lying. Perhaps this will result in clowns participating in a wrestling match for the first time since Doink and Dink left the company in 1995? We could only be so lucky. We then cut backstage where we see The Rock standing by, wearing a blue tank top, and I'm pointing out his wardrobe only because, once we come back from commercial, he's walking to the ring, and he is now wearing a black t-shirt. Either he quickly changed into a new shirt for no reason whatsoever, or whoever was editing tonight's show really mailed it in. You be the judge. If you recall on last week's episode of Raw, The Undertaker and Kane cornered D'Lo Brown, but The Rock valiantly came to D'Lo's rescue. This resulted in Rock taking a beating from the Brothers of Destruction as D'Lo grabbed his European title and ran away. And I'm just going to go ahead and play The Rock's promo for you here, because it seems as though he may be transitioning out of his current heel persona. The Rock's got a little something to share with all of his fans here tonight. He's the people's champion still. 
The first line of business The Rock is going to talk about is the Rock Triple H Ladder Match SummerSlam. Get it off your chest, Rock. Triple H, the Rock did to you exactly what he said he was going to do. He went into SummerSlam. He beat your candy ass from pillar to post for 30 minutes. At least. And as The Rock laid on the canvas and he watched you climb the people's ladder, rung by damn rung by damn rung, and reach up and snatch The Rock's intercontinental title. As The Rock laid with the people's blood flowing from his face, he realized then, at that split second, that although you became the Intercontinental Champ, Triple H, The Rock always, and The Rock means always, will be the people's champ. What I tell you? I know. Now here in the WWF, as of late, it seems like a whole bunch of guys are having a hard time knowing their damn role friends as well as enemies and two men in particular two jabronis in particular who don't know their damn role just happen to be Kane and The Undertaker uh oh I hope he ain't overstepping his bounds here now last week Kane and Undertaker when The Rock stood before you and look, both of you pieces of trash right in your eyes. Hell, he knew he was going to get his ass whooped. But that's an ass whooping the Rosh is going to have to take. What a man! Kane, if you think for one single solitary second that you're going to get away with choke slamming the Rock somewhere, somehow, the Rock is going to take his big right hand. He's going to raise the people's eyebrow. He's going to lay the smack down on your candy ass if you smell what The Rock is cooking. So there you have it. The Rock is starting to make more references to the people, and he just went ahead and called out Kane, who is one of the top heels on the roster at the moment. It certainly appears as though The Rock is beginning to shift his allegiances. Will this end up leading to a full-on face turn? Well, I suppose you'll just have to stay tuned to find out. So hey, remember when I speculated earlier that the WWF was completely mailing in this Saturday night episode of Raw? Well, at this point, they reshow the entire Ken Shamrock-Owen Hart-Lions Den match from SummerSlam in order to kill 10 minutes of TV time. As William Rankin and I discussed on the last episode of this podcast, it is indeed a great match, but this strikes me as the WWF just saying, fuck it, since they know that only a fraction of the audience will be watching on a Saturday night. That being said, definitely go back and watch it if you get a chance, because it's quality stuff, and it was much better than it had any right to be, considering it was basically just a wrestling match in a tiny bootleg UFC octagon. Good stuff. And now it's time for our next match, too Much versus Southern Justice in a rare heel versus heel tag team match. I would be remiss if I did not point out the fact that when Scotty goes to the second rope to taunt the crowd, a fan can clearly be seen holding up a sign which says, Scott Taylor Steals Gimmicks. 
Now, remember that we're in Lowell, Massachusetts tonight, and Scotty got his start in the Massachusetts-based promotion New England Wrestling, so maybe that fan is saying that too much was his idea? Although I'm not sure why anyone would actually want to take credit for that. Also, just like last week, too much are once again teasing that they may be closer than just tag team partners, as they frequently hug each other for the second week in a row, including Brian Christopher at one point jumping right into Scotty's arms like Rachel McAdams did to Ryan Gosling in The Notebook. Or, uh, so I've heard. As for Southern Justice, surprisingly, I actually do think this team has some potential, certainly much more than when they were the Godwins. There's still shit in the ring, but as henchmen for Jeff Jarrett, I think it's a perfectly serviceable gimmick for them. And on that note, Southern Justice does indeed end up scoring the victory when Dennis Knight ducked a crossbody attempt by Brian Christopher, causing Too Sexy to fall to the floor. From there, Mark Canterbury hit that gimmick thief Scotty with his finishing move, the Problem Solver, formerly called the Slop Drop, and that was enough to get the pinfall. Southern Justice certainly appears to be building quite a bit of momentum, but, well, let's just say that injuries are going to end up giving this team a much shorter run than they probably deserved. You'll see what I mean in the coming episodes. After a commercial break, it's time for our next match, Vader versus Dustin Runnels, who is wearing a t-shirt which says, he is coming back. Unfortunately, Dustin's preaching seems to have gotten the attention of Val Venus, who is now walking through the crowd carrying a sign of his own, which says, and I quote, I have come. And I can't help but wonder if that sign is in the past tense or if it's possessive. I'll let you all try to figure that one out. So Dustin and Vader brawl for a couple minutes before Dustin notices Val in the front row and begins yelling at him. At that point, it appears that the crowd gets inspired by Val's sign because they actually start to chant, Come! 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 And once again, I have questions. Are they chanting their support for a bodily fluid, or are they requesting for Val to do the act? Truly, this is a perplexing night. As it turns out, Val's distractions work quite nicely, as Vader ends up hitting Dustin with a corner splash, followed by a Vader bomb, and that was enough for the one, the two, and the three. Do not adjust your television sets. Vader actually got a pinfall victory. Meanwhile, it appears that Val and Dustin are positioned for a feud, which actually does appear to make quite a bit of sense. The sleazy, immoral porn star versus the goody-two-shoes Christian preacher. And since it's the Attitude Era, you can probably guess who the crowd would prefer. As a quick side note, if you're watching this episode on the WWE Network, Jim Ross informs us on a few occasions that we'll be seeing footage of Sable in action from SummerSlam and WrestleMania, but that footage is actually edited out on the network. And really, that's probably a good thing, since it's not like Sable is any sort of in-ring technician. Also, in another fun little moment, when JR says that the footage of Sable is up next, Jerry Lawler says, quote, Hey Stacy, set my VCR to record. That would appear to be the king giving a shout out to his real life girlfriend at the time, Stacy Carter, who of course eventually becomes an on camera character about a year from now, taking on the name of the cat. Spoiler alert. But anyway, after a commercial break, Al Snow can be seen walking through the crowd, accompanied by Head as usual. He grabs a microphone and enters the ring, but when he does, Jim Ross says something rather interesting. So apparently there was a WWF network back in 1998. If that was the case, I'm sure it would have been a joy to watch on your dial-up 28k modem. Certainly no buffering there. So anyway, Al asked the crowd, what does everybody want? What does everybody need? What does everybody love? With the crowd responding head each time. 
And for you entrance theme connoisseurs out there, you'll recognize that this is the exact audio which will eventually be used at the beginning of Al's WWF theme song. Al says that he and Head are not leaving the ring until a WWF official comes to the ring to meet them. However, instead of just one official, he actually gets three. Commissioner Slaughter, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe. Al then conducts a mock game show where he asks each contestant who he will be wrestling and when, but they all refuse to play along. And so, because they don't go along with him, Al tells them that he has a lovely pardon gift, and he then proceeds to whack Patterson in the balls with Head. Al then hops the barricade and escapes into the crowd, where he holds Head high in the air. Meanwhile, I'm left shaking my own head over the fact that Al Snow somehow keeps a job with the WWF for five more years after this. Maybe the Attitude Era isn't all that it's cracked up to be after all. When we come back from commercial, it's now time for our next match, WWF European Champion D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry versus the Headbangers. Before the match begins, Michael Cole interviews the Headbangers backstage, and during the initial broadcast back in 1998, Thrasher actually got censored for making some racist comments. However, if you're watching on the WWF Network, pardon me, the WWE Network, they leave his comments in unedited. You got D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. Well, Mark Henry, we're going to keep him in the corner and just feed him a bushload of bananas. (laughs) The WWE Network, where racist remarks are included in the monthly fee. Not only that, but once the match begins and Mark Henry enters the ring, Thrasher doubles down on the racism by flailing his arms around as though he was walking like a monkey. I know Michael P.S. Hayes had not yet taken on his role as a road agent with the company at this point, but let's just assume that he's the one who booked this match. I think it's a fair assumption. So the match was a pretty unspectacular back-and-forth affair, but poor Mark Henry ended up suffering the same fate as last week. With the Headbangers double-teaming D'Lo on the arena floor... China ran into the ring and tackled Henry, resulting in a disqualification. China then mounted Henry and started punching him in the face until several referees separated both of them on opposite sides of the ring. However, that only lasted for a few seconds as China escaped and resumed beating on Henry, including throwing several of the referees to the ground when they tried to stop her. With China putting the boots to the world's strongest man, Triple H and the New Age Outlaws eventually ran into the ring to hold her back, although I'm not sure why they would want her to stop beating him up. We then got a close-up shot of Henry's face where we could see that his nose was legitimately bleeding, so apparently the ninth wonder of the world got in some pretty good shots. Now, I understand why China is mad at Mark Henry because of that whole attempted sexual assault segment from a few weeks ago, but shouldn't she be more pissed off at The Rock? After all, he was the one who masterminded the whole thing and repeatedly called her a piece of trash right to her face. Mark Henry was just kind of along for the ride, although granted, I guess that's not that much better. So after a commercial break, uh, for some reason, we get DX doing their full entrance. So apparently after DX had just come to the ring in the previous segment, they then headed right backstage so that their music could play and we could get their seizure-inducing back-and-forth video. Alrighty then. So this leads us into our main event of the evening, an eight-man tag team match, WWF Intercontinental Champion Triple H, WWF Tag Team Champions The New Age Outlaws, and X-Pac, who are all accompanied by China, versus WWF Light Heavyweight Champion Taka Michinoku, Funaki, Togo, and Teo, who are all accompanied by Yamaguchi-san. As you might expect, DX dominated most of the match, and to show how little Triple H apparently thought of his competition, He left his little Harley-Davidson paddy cap on even when he entered the ring for the match. 
as if you needed another reason to dislike him. Also, even though they're no longer feuding with Val Venus, Kai and Tai are now motioning toward their crotches in a pee-pee chopping gesture, so I guess maybe you could say that's their signal for a literal crotch chop. Well played. Kai and Tai did manage to mount a bit of offense against the Road Dog, but the match ended quickly once he made the hot tag to X-Pac. Both factions ended up brawling in the ring, with DX quickly dispatching the other Kai and Tai members. With Taka left alone in the ring, the Outlaws picked him up in a press slam position and then tossed him over to X-Pac, who spiked Taka with his X-Factor finisher. Pretty cool looking move, and that was enough to give the relatively easy victory to D-Generation X. Although I must ask, of all four Kai and Tai members, why did your reigning WWF light heavyweight champion need to take that clean pinfall loss in what ended up being a glorified squash match? You mean to tell me Togo or Teo couldn't have taken that one instead? It's almost as though Vince McMahon doesn't really care about the light heavyweight division or something. Hmm. And after the match, China laid out Funaki and Yamaguchi-san with forearms for good measure, just because. Kai and Tai, welcome to the lower midcard. The show then ended with Triple H spying a planted fan in the crowd who had DX written on the back of her pants. He motioned for her to show her butt, and sure enough, she did indeed pull her pants down to expose her thong. And that is how we went off the air, with DX joking around, and I think that actually seems to make sense, since basically nothing important happened on this entire show. With that being said, there's still some more to discuss, so for now, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seas back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. I freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they clucking. The WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap Last week with Raw airing on a Saturday instead of its usual Monday time slot, Nitro scored a ridiculous 6.02 rating, which actually ends up being the highest rating that WCW would ever achieve. By comparison, last week's Saturday episode of Raw only scored a 2.6. Well, Raw was actually consistent this week because for the second Saturday episode in a row, they scored the exact same rating of a 2.6. Meanwhile, Nitro put up a very respectable 5.5 rating in their unopposed Monday time slot, although they were actually up against the season premiere of Monday Night Football on this night, which likely contributed to their slight ratings dip. Raw will return to its usual Monday spot next week, but WCW has certainly made the most of their absence over the past few weeks, and here is what you could have been watching on Nitro on Monday, September 7th. Conan defeated Bull Payne. Wrath defeated Lenny Lane. Hey, that rhymed. Scott Steiner defeated Evan Courageous. Juventud Guerrera defeated Hector Garza to retain his cruiserweight title. Ernest the Cat Miller defeated Kenny Chaos. Stevie Ray defeated Chris Adams. Saturn defeated Riggs. Chris Jericho defeated Jim Neidhart to retain his world television title. Dean Malenko defeated Kurt Hennig via disqualification in what was likely a very good match. Goldberg defeated Scott Putzke to retain his World Heavyweight Championship. And, in your main event, Diamond Dallas Page and Rowdy Roddy Piper defeated Sting and Lex Luger by disqualification. And in case you're wondering what that wacky Ultimate Warrior was up to this week, 
With Hulk Hogan and the giant in the ring surrounded by a steel cage, a bunch of smoke filled the ring, and, when it cleared, the giant was somehow knocked unconscious, and the warrior appeared to confront the Hulkster. Hogan hit Warrior with a chair, but he no-sold it, and Hogan then ran out of the cage. More smoke appeared, and when it cleared again, the warrior was gone. And that was how the go-home show before Fall Brawl ended. Call your local cable company now to order. The silliness between Hogan and Warrior has been the main story on Nitro for several weeks, but on next week's show, we deviate from that and get one of the truly great moments in WCW history. I won't spoil it for you because I'll end up diving into it a little bit on the next episode of this podcast, but let's just say it's an absolutely classic moment. Stay tuned for that. And on that note, let's take it to the Raw Synopsis. For the second week in a row, the WWF clearly didn't give a shit, and they completely mailed in Saturday Night Raw. After murdering half the roster last week, The Undertaker and Kane were not even on tonight's show, and also for the second week in a row, we got an episode of Raw which did not feature WWF champion Stone Cold Steve Austin. It almost seems unfathomable that they would keep Austin off Raw for two consecutive weeks, even if the show was airing on a Saturday, but sure enough... That's how little they gave a shit. We did get eight matches on Raw, but they were all filler, and most of them featured glorified jobbers like the Headbangers, Dustin Reynolds, and Miguel Perez. No thank you. Not to mention the fact that they re-aired a match from SummerSlam and showed old footage of Sable, seemingly because they didn't want to be bothered to come up with something new to fill the time. Pretty goddamn lame. All in all, I would say that this is an easy thumbs down, and I would definitely recommend that you skip this episode. However, the good news is that Raw will be back to its usual Monday time slot for our next episode. With WCW surging in the ratings, hopefully the WWF actually feels motivated to put on a compelling show next week. Will it be worth watching? We shall see. And on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that... I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I will leave you now with a special treat. Three previews of podcasts, which are only available on the Questionable Endeavor Network, with each preview having been created by its respective host. The first one you'll hear is the Shadow Vane podcast, which features tales of horror and science fiction. The second one is for the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, a show which recaps the week that was in professional wrestling, and you'll likely recognize the voice of Adam, who has guest-hosted three episodes of the Raw Attitude Podcast with me. And the third preview is for the Slasher Sanitarium, a podcast which recaps various horror movies and television shows. So enjoy those previews, give those podcasts a listen, and I will catch you next time. Like scary stories? If so, then listen to the Shadowbane Podcast, where you'll find original radio drama series and classic tales of terror brought to life with fantastic voice acting and eerie music and sound effects. For more information on our first full series, Progenics Labs, or our current story, 1692 The Risen, visit shadowbane.net or listen to us on the Questionable Endeavor Network.
listen in the dark if you dare. Hey, you like podcasts. Do you also like wrestling? If you do, you should check out the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Every Thursday, some friends and I talk about the week that was in the WWE and TNA. We mostly mock TNA. But uh, we'll also predict pay-per-views. We'll make jokes. We'll make really, really terrible jokes. And every so often, we'll laugh at a dead person's expense. I apologize for that. But check out The Rundown every Thursday on the Questionable Endeavor Network. to the Slasher Sanitarium. Come join us as we talk about horror movies, horror fiction, and horror television. Subscribe now to the Slasher Sanitarium. New episodes coming soon. (laughs) 